This is St. Peter's Sunday Morning Bible Group, and I'm Pastor Adam. Each week, we record our teaching time to aid you in your discipleship and to help create a resilient faith that is able to respond to the changing landscape of culture and life with the fullness of grace and truth. And hey, if you happen to live in the Columbus area, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head over to our website at stpeterscolumbus.org. That's stpeterscolumbus.org. Here is this week's Sunday Morning Bible Group. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together and uh, for this conversation. So often as we don't think about this stuff, we don't want to think about this stuff, but Lord, it's critical, especially as we face uh, death. And um, Lord, because of your promises and your word and the work of Jesus Christ, though death is scary, it's not something that we have to be afraid of. And so, Lord, as we have our conversation, just uh, may it be informative and may it bring comfort to those uh, who have gone through death. And even as we just contemplate it, that uh, this, this thing that we're so terrified does not have total and absolute control over us because you, Lord Jesus, has over, have overcome it. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So to get us started, Pastor Tim, question for you. Why do you think it's so important for a pastor to be present at or around the time of death for somebody? Well, uh, good question. And I've come to realize over and over and over again that um, no matter how ready you are, and I guess, thankfully, I guess, that a lot of us have the blessing of being a little bit ready. Some of us have no blessed, no, not ready to be ready at all. It's just all of a sudden, uh, you know, it happens without warning. But um, the answer to your question is, is when, even if you have known that your parent or your spouse or somebody's been ill for a long time and it's coming, uh, is there's just a, a reality, a reality that throws you into a whole nother world. And I don't care who you were, one minute before your parent left, you're a different person when, when it happens and when they're gone. And so same thing with your spouse or whoever you lose. Uh, it throws you uh, into a, a state of uh, discombobulation. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how experienced you are in anything or everything. Uh, you're not you anymore. And so um, when you're in that foggy state, uh, the best person you can possibly have uh, with you in that time is a brother or sister in Christ. And so typically who people are surrounded by at the bedside or in an hour like that is other people that are family that are just as devastated as you and they're in a the fog also. And so all of you are kind of walking around in a fog together and you, you don't know how to put one foot in front of the other. And so a brother or sister in Christ is the ultimate person and uh, thank God that uh, St. Peter's has not one or two, but three pastors, which gives us the ability um, to be there with you. Uh, and that's the answer to your question, is that, uh, you know, for somebody to lead you out of the fog and into, back into the knowledge of what uh, Pastor John just explained to us this morning, uh, we need a brother or sister, and a pastor is probably uh, one of, you know, the key brothers or sisters that can be with us. Tim, as, as a, a pastor who's been at the bedside of many people who are dying, have you ever had to assist or, or help um, a family as they've had to make decisions around life support, 
um, or taking loved ones off life support. And what is that like? What, is, what does that process look like? <clears throat> many, many times, and I'll try to make this as brief as possible because this could take the rest of the class. Uh, and uh, it, this is a tough, 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 tough one. Uh, but we uh, have had one very recently just like that. And, uh, and we have them, unfortunately, because when you have a family this big as St. Peter's, you have it fairly regular. And, uh, and so, same thing, same thing as we talked about a minute ago is when you're sitting there and your family member, your loved one is on the brink of possibly going to be with the Lord and here comes these doctors or this team and they say, we need you to make a decision. Uh, that's a horrible situation to be in. And uh, once again, uh, you know, we love the person also that you are maybe about to lose uh, or could be about to lose, but, um, but we, uh, as much as we love them, we can't possibly love them as much and as deeply as you. And, uh, and so we have a little bit of an ability to, to have a little bit more of a clear mind. Um, and also, we've been there a lot. This is not something that many people are experienced in. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, like Pastor John said, I've been doing this for right at 15 years, and I've been in hundreds and hundreds of these situations. And so just a little experience. And, uh, and so I can, I'm able to just coach people gently, carefully through. John and I and Adam can never and will never tell somebody, you need to unplug your dad. We can't and never will tell you that. Same thing with whoever it is. Um, but we will tell you something, you know, to help you to survive that moment. And that is that, um, okay, what have the doctors told you? Well, you know, they say that dad's only alive because he's on life support. And that if we remove the life support, his heart will stop beating. And if I tell them to remove him from life support, then I feel like I'm killing dad. Uh, we can have just a, a little bit clearer thinking and just say, um, you're not killing dad. If God's ready to take your dad, he's going to take him. And first question I asked you was, what did the doctor say? The doctor said that, um, you know, after all the tests, they believe firmly, you know, that um, the only life in your dad is artificial. It's the life support. You know, and so we can just stand beside you and gently, carefully, gently help you just to think in times like that. And so, um, and so that, that is a very, very difficult situation. We can just help you think. I was at my previous congregation for 12 years, and in the first three months uh, we were there, I got my first what I call 911, like pastoral call. It was on a day off. Uh, my kids were going to a uh, field day at school, and so it's like 7 a.m., they're all dressed up, and I was supposed to go with my wife and spend all day uh, uh, at, the, at the field day, and my cell phone goes off, 7.15, and they say, uh, I get a call that there's somebody at the hospital, one of our members, um, and you need to go. And that's all that they told me. Uh, I, I knew the names, but I did not know the people, did not know their face, did not know their daughter who was there in the ER, and so I remember driving and just being absolutely terrified. Like, what was I going to see? What was I going to find? Um, I had come from a church plant before where, like, the average age of the church plant was, like, honestly, 22. And so, like, we didn't do funerals 
and things like that. And that people didn't go to the hospital. It was weird. Uh, in three years of ministry, didn't do one single hospital visit in my first church. And so this was really new for me. And I showed up and I walked into the, the ER room and I was so blessed that they knew who I was. And uh, the, the mom just ran up and gave me a hug. And I never met her in my life. And she said, Pastor John, you're here. And I just held her and she cried. And her daughter was a special needs, uh, had special needs, and she was about 26 years old and had an aneurysm. And uh, I spent from 7.30 in the morning until 5 o'clock that evening with them as the doctors did tests and ran different things to figure out what was going on to get to that point that Pastor Tim was talking about, like doctors saying, hey, here's where we're at, and this is what we're wrestling with. And it was during that time that I learned the power of, of Christ's presence through his people and through his word. And uh, I read more Psalms that one day than I think I had in the entire year before, um, just to bring comfort, because you're sitting there and there's nothing to do. And I think that's the hardest part, is it's nothing but waiting. And so instead of sitting in the silence and that wait, like you feel like you need to talk, but what words do you have? And that's where the word of God becomes so critical, is when we don't have the words, be confident, in the word of God, to go and read it. And you may read stuff and be like, I don't even know what that means, but God uses stuff, uses his word in, in amazing ways to bring comfort to people um, and to help them through that. Uh, that evening or afternoon, the family decided to take their daughter off of life support. And uh, so we got all ready and we prayed the, that the Lord would, would bring her home to him quickly. And uh, they took everything off, and it took less than five minutes for her to die and, and to go to be with the Lord. And uh, we cried a little bit, and uh, mom and dad and aunt said, all right, thank you so much. And I said, well, well let me stay until the um, funeral home comes and, and gets her body. And we did, and then we went home, and I met with them in the morning. I, I will tell you, uh, I went home, and we had small group that night. And so there's like 30 kids in our small group and like 20 adults and I'm supposed to lead it. And I just sat and I just stared like the whole time just about because I had nothing left in me. It was really, really hard. Um, Tim, if death is closed, what do you typically do at the bedside of someone and with their families? We kind of, I kind of share a little bit about what I did that day. But what, what, what's your typical practice if you know death is somewhat imminent? It all depends on the circumstances. Every circumstance is a little different. Uh, but um, we did this just yesterday, and uh, yesterday morning, and so uh, just as an example, yesterday you woke up and you walk, uh, and the family, you know, what, where is mom on this journey? Well, you know, hospice just said it could be any minute, you know, and so uh, if you're at that stage, you know, or if they say it could be any day, any hour, it's all different depending upon what it is. But um, the, if the family is all resolved and they know that they know that they know that death is inevitable, it's just a heartbeat away, uh, we're going to talk very matter-of-factly about that. Um, and so in, in answer to John's question, you have to be careful. You really, really, really have to be careful uh, doing what we do because um, uh, half the family might be, and I've been there before, uh, half the family might be, don't you dare talk about heaven. We're not ready to let mom go. 
And the other half of the family is, please talk about heaven, because mom's obviously about to go. And so, in answer to John's question, we have to assess the situation, uh, pray about it, and let God guide us on what in the heck we're going to say. And God always answers our prayers somehow, and He speaks through us uh, to you. I mean, even the Scripture verse. You can't have anything, you know, okay, this is what I'm going to say to this family, and this is the Scripture I'm going to read. <laughs> you know, yeah, that might be the wrong Scripture. It, it, you know, it's as good as the Scripture is that says, you know, God's going to work all this together for good. There's some times that they don't want to hear that. You know, they do not want to hear that right now. And so, uh, to John's answer to John's question is, uh, praise God, we just to spend our lives storing up more and more of God's Word so that when we pray about it and when He gives us a nudge that this is what this family needs, um, it's here, it's here, it's here, and we pull it out. Yeah, a lot of times for me, if uh, we know that death is coming within the next uh, day or two or even week, that's kind of the, the estimate that we've got, uh, you'll see me show up with what's called the Pastoral Care Companion. It's a little maroon book. It's about that big. If you see that, in my hand, you know something bad has happened. Um, and that's my resource for, for all things. Um, for exactly the same reason that Pastor Tim said, like you just never know. And I'm the, the, the worst when it comes to quoting scripture. I can tell you what scripture says. I can't tell you where it came from. Like I can tell you all kinds of things. People are like, where'd that come from? I'm like, ah, the Bible. Um, <laughs> especially in stressful moments, it just doesn't come to me, unfortunately. And so I carry my, my pastoral care companion. And what's really neat is in it, it's got a thing called the commendation of the dying. And it sounds very Roman Catholic. And um, they, there's a, a rite in there that, that takes us through kind of steps of, depending on where the, the person who is, is dying is at, you can go through. So if it's fairly early on in the process and the, the individual is very coherent, still able to talk and things, it's got a, a confession and absolution for that individual so that as they come to face death, they have absolute full assurance that their sins are forgiven. No doubts. They know where they're, where they're going. Um, and then as you move through the right, there is a point in that commendation where we actually do say, like, Lord, into your hands we commend you know, our loved one um, and, and care for them as they make this, this transition from, from life to death and into uh, heaven and rest. Um, it's something that, that I will use quite often. Um, and when I first started... If you know me, I'm a casual kind of person and not very formal. And so it made me very uncomfortable to follow a very formal thing because uh, it's just not who I am. And what I found is there is so much comfort in being able just to walk through that and to hear those words of God, even if it is more formal. Um, families have always really appreciated it and, um, and it's served really, really well. One of the things that's been really fascinating for me moving from Southern California to Texas and now to Indiana is how the culture of congregations and communities differ so much around how to handle death. Um, so in my last congregation, uh, we hardly ever knew that somebody was dying. 
Like, they wouldn't tell us. That just was not part of the culture. They would call us, like, two hours afterwards and be like, hey, uh, so, you know, my spouse passed away today. Uh, and we're like, what? You didn't, you didn't call us. Yeah, we didn't think you needed to know. Um, but they're dead, and we'd like to, to plan services. And we were, we, it was just a, a shocker at first. And after 12 years, you just kind of, like, that's the, the groove that you find in that uh, congregation and culture. I came here, and the culture here is completely different. We get to hear all the time, like, hey, so-and-so's in the hospital, so-and-so is dying. Um, come and be a part of this process, which is really cool, because as we've talked about, it uh, gives us an opportunity to uh, bring comfort and care. So I want to implore you guys, um, if something happens, call us. Call the church. There's an emergency line that will ring one of us three pastors. One of us always has that um, and is on call through that emergency line. Let us know that something going on. You don't need to walk through this stuff by yourself. If for some reason one of the three of us can't be there because maybe it's during a church service or something, we have a volunteer care team that Pastor Tim leads that we can also call on and they can come and be a part of whatever's happening and they've got um, training there. And so it's really something that we would encourage you, be sure to reach out. You can just call the church and go through the, the phone tree if, if Molly's not here and uh, you'll find the emergency line and it will ring us. Um, it's not something that we get very often. I think most of the calls we get come straight to our cell phones, but um, it is definitely something we want to encourage you to, to utilize. Um, questions so far, as we're just kind of talking and sharing our experiences. All right. Um, so when someone dies <clears throat> within the church, uh, the reality is there's a three-way partnership that really begins to take uh, shape once someone passes. And that partnership is between uh, the family of the deceased, uh, the church, and the funeral home. 99% um, of, uh, of deaths involve a funeral home in some capacity. And so it's a three-way kind of dance between like, okay, now that someone has died, what's the next step? And because uh, you've got to contact a funeral home to help with arrangements and, and transport of, of a body. You've got to contact the, the church to see, like, can we set up a service? Like, where do we want to go? Are we going to be in a uh, funeral home? Are we going to be at the church? And uh, this is a, a bias of mine. Um, if at all possible, always do the service here at the church. Just do it. Um, and, and the reason why is... Our sanctuary is designed and built to bring hope and comfort in Christ. It's where we hear the gospel week in and week out. It's where the saints are gathered together around God's word. And there's no better place to walk through this kind of journey of grief than in our sanctuary. Uh, well, I don't have a problem going to one of our chapels here in the community, but there's just something about being in our space in our house, so to speak, uh, of St. Peter's and the comfort that it can bring. Um, so don't ever feel like, oh my gosh, like the church is too big. It's not because of the way it's designed. It's got like a little chapel down in, on the floor. Um, don't ever feel like you're going to put us out. Uh, we, will, we will work you guys in and figure everything out. 
um, because we want to be able to walk with you through that journey uh, of grief. So Tim, when you get a call that someone has died, what does, does that partnership look like? Uh, uh, for example, who sets the dates and locations for the service? Um, that's a very good way to put that as a three-way partnership. Um, there's decisions that need to be made and all three, the funeral home, the family, and the church has to agree to those decisions that want to be made. And so um, just like yesterday, uh, I got the call for uh, this family and uh, I'd been with them late last night and I was almost ready to go see them. Uh, I, I didn't make it there before she died, but uh, they called me and said she just passed. And so I went straight up there and uh, jumped in there and and then they were standing there, you know, and they were all like, now what do we do? You know, and so that's just typical. You're not supposed to be highly experienced at this. Uh, and these are all uh, people in their 60s and 70s, the grown kids. What do we do now? You know, and so I was able to tell them pretty much what John is saying. And so I was saying, okay, this is, um, you know, nobody likes to talk about these things, but this is what you're going to have to do right now. You know, now obviously we took, I spent some time doing the, you know, spiritual thing and being their pastor and holding their hearts and all that stuff. But, but then uh, I answered their questions and I said, what, sh what you're going to have to do now is, is uh, you're going to have to be thinking about when do you want to do this? When do you want to celebrate your mom's life? And, uh, you know, do you want to do it this week, next week? You know, and uh, do you, have you, have you called a funeral home yet? We'll know, you know, but we, we know who, which one we want. And so uh, I told them for, for quite a while, for about 25 minutes, I told them, okay, you need to talk to the funeral home, you need to talk to us, and then the, the three of us need to make the decision. And so I, I told them, this is what the funeral home is going to uh, ask you to do. They're going to ask you, you know, do you want a cremation or do you want a casket? If you do, you're going to have to shop for a casket, you know. Or if it's a cremation, you're going to have to shop for an urn. And then you're going to have to, where do you want to have the service? You know, do you want to have it here? Or do you want to have it at the, um, at the funeral home chapel? And then they're going to ask you, you know, do you want this? And the whole list of things. And I said, so that's what you're about to have to go through is all those questions. And about the time I was through with that, here come the funeral home to do the body pickup. And they said, uh, you know, well, uh, it's a Saturday. Normally we don't meet until the next working day, but, uh, but you know, and then he said, but now, because, this is, you know, we might need to talk about it now if you have the time and if you're in the mood. And he said, go ahead. And he asked them every single question I had just coached them on how to be prepared for. And so that's a good example of the three-way partnership is uh, they were prepared and they answered every question. And as goofy as it is, um, because of that partnership, within the next 10 minutes, everything was planned and everything was in place. And uh, so uh, it does. It has to, just because the family says, uh, we need the service to happen on so-and-so day and such and such time, uh, the funeral home might have five funerals going on that day. It might not be able. And uh, Pastor Adam and Pastor John and I, we might, you know, uh, have some weddings going on or something. We not be, might not be able to do it. And so that's why it takes some coordination. Uh, and the funeral home, if you were to call them first, 
it's such a good partnership that they would say the same thing that I did, telling them what you can expect the funeral home is going to say. They'll tell these guys, well, this is probably what Pastor Adam or Pastor John or Pastor Tim is going to tell you. And so the partnership uh, is a blessing. It's a blessing, and unfortunately, whenever it's your turn to be in that world again soon, um, I'm glad John is prepping you for that three-way partnership. I hope you are enjoying this week's Sunday Morning Bible Group. For more information, you can head over to stpeterscolumbus.org. There, you will find more faith content, and you can support this ministry. And don't forget, if you are looking for that local church and you live in Columbus, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning. Now, back to the Sunday Morning Bible Group. One of the, the nice things, and one of the questions has been, <clears throat> excuse me, text in, is why do we pay so much attention to like a person's wishes for their funeral if uh, a funeral is not for a dead person? They're not there. It's for the living. And I think it's a really great question. Um, and I'm going to answer that in, in two ways. One, planning for a funeral sounds really morbid. But it is one of the best things you can do for those for your family, because when you've hit that moment and that fog that Tim talks about is present and you're just like, I don't know what to do. I'm frozen and I'm grief stricken. Like all of a sudden it's like, do you want a casket? What color a casket? You're like, I don't care. Like, I don't know. Like my dad's gone or whatever it is. Um, what time do you want this? I don't know. I haven't talked to everybody. They've got to come in from out of town. So all these things start hitting. And then that's just like the funeral home. Then you meet with the pastors and we'll go through what that looks like in a minute. And we're like, what songs would you like? And you're like, I don't know. What's their favorite Bible passage? I don't know. When were they baptized? I don't know. And you're like, do I know anything about my loved one? Um, and you do, you know all those things. But the fog is there and you can't think through it. And so <clears throat> the preparation is really helpful for the living to be able to say, okay, we know what we want and here's some things. Um, in in the, the few services that I've had the, the blessing to, to prep with somebody who did die, what was really cool is to be able to ask them this, this really kind of neat question. If there's anything you would want to say to everybody, what would it be? And it gives them a chance to really think, like, what, what would I say? Um, and, it, and it sparks some really good conversations about faith and life and death. Um, and it's really good. Um, <clears throat> the reality is, like I said, a funeral is for the living. It's not for the dead. Your loved one um, is not going to be deeply offended that you had a service when they said, I don't want one, or uh, vice versa. Um, what I always encourage families, no matter what, is some type of service is always good. Uh, my dad was the kind of guy who was like, don't, like, don't have a service for me. And he made zero preparations to make sure that like, it would be as hard as possible for us. Because <laughs> um, that was my dad. He was stubborn in that way, and he's like, I don't want a service, so I'm not going to plan it. And we're like, awesome, Dad, thanks. Uh, and I always tell families, no matter what it is, have a service. And here's why. Because it's like a mile marker. If you're on a really long journey and you have no way of marking like passage of, of time or distance, like it's really hard to know where you're at. And you kind of get stuck. And in a service of any kind, like puts kind of a plants a flag that says, this is a moment 
in my journey of grief that I can hold on to. And it, it brings some closure to the initial trauma that happens in death. And it allows us then to look ahead and go, okay, what's the next step that I've got to take? And without that, you kind of just get stuck. And you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Um, it's really hard. Uh, the fog is real. This is kind of a funny personal story. That clock is broken, so can somebody just keep track of time so we don't miss 1045 service? Uh, two, 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 two <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> the panic was real, man. Uh, like, how are we there? So uh, when my dad died, I, I tried to allow my mom to, to do what she needed to do because she wanted to lead. She wanted to... To be in the fog was really, really heavy. So my dad died early in the morning, and we're sitting there, and she's just like staring at my dad's body. And uh, I said, he's gone. And she goes, is he? I was like, yeah, he is. Um, and she went and put his oxygen back on him, even after he was dead, because she was like, well, he needs oxygen. I'm like, well, he's dead. Uh, I don't think oxygen's gonna, something he needs. But we let her. She left the machine on. And as she went and sat down in a chair facing the bed, the bed was in our, in our living room there uh, at her house. And she just sat there and she looked at me and she goes, well, what next? And I said, well, let's call hospice because they, they need to be notified. And then let's call a, a funeral home. And I said, mom, do you want me to do that or would you? And she goes, I want to do it. I was like, okay. So she calls hospice and hospice is on her way. She calls the funeral home and she's talking to them. And they're talking about when they can come pick up my dad's body. And uh, all of a sudden, it's like, it's, at this point, it's like 7.15 in the morning. And my mom goes, yeah, you can come by between 11 and noon. And I'm like, what? 11 and noon? We got to sit here with my dad's body for like four hours? Uh, and like my kids at this point are like waking up and coming downstairs and realizing like grandpa's gone and everything. And she hangs up and I was like, can they not come till 11? She goes, no, I just thought we'd want to spend some time. <laughs> okay mom and so I was like can I can I call them back and she goes yeah why and I'm like I just think it would be a good idea for them to come pick them up a little sooner and and like I, bless my mom's heart she was like why I was like well mom he's dead and uh if he sits here for a long time like it, it might not be real pleasant and the fog was so real she was like why I was like Mom, I don't know, but it might start to smell. And she goes, oh, call him. Call him quick. <laughs> and so we called him, and they, they came out. But the hospice lady came first, and my mom told her, well, we told him 11, between 11 and noon. So the hospice lady, like, kind of panics, and she comes over to me, like, really quietly, and she goes, turn the AC on. Because it's, like, the middle of the summer. It's 100 degrees outside. I was like, okay. So she turns it all the way down to 60, so the AC is blasting. And uh, she's like, do you guys have fans? And I'm like, yeah. So she puts up fans on my dad. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then she sprays this perfume stuff. And I was like, all right, we're done. And it cleared the house. Like my kids left, my mom, everybody left the house. We were all pleasantly just sitting there in the living room and she sprayed us up, we were out. And I went to her and I said, are we done? Cause like, this is not working. Um, and she apologized. She was just worried about it. And the funeral home showed up like 15 minutes later. I was like, great, now the house is going to smell like some weird rose perfume all day long. Uh, so we spent most of the day outside. But it was really hard because we, you know, she didn't want to call her pastor. She felt like this could just be a family thing. 
Um, but as, as mom, like she feels like she needed to lead. And so I, you know, both my brother and I were like, I don't know what to do. Where a pastor comes in and naturally there's somebody apart from that that you can look to and go, okay, what do we do? Like, I don't know. Um, and it's really, really helpful to have folks like that in place. Um, so when, when uh, your loved one passes or dies and things are starting to roll, uh, one of us three pastors, if, if you choose us to do this service, will then request to meet with you and, your, and with your family. Um, and we'll get together and, and we'll talk through some things. And Tim, how do you typically run that kind of uh, gathering and, and meeting to prep for the, the funeral service? What does that look like when you meet with them after death? There are, uh, you know, some decisions to make uh, about what type of a funeral do you want, you know? And, uh, you know, so do you want to have it here in our sanctuary? Do you want to have it at, uh, at the funeral home chapel? Do you want to have it? graveside only you know uh do you want to have it private you want to you know so all these questions you have to ask and then you kind of got to coach the family along and so uh you know because they're in that because you said that fog and so we're saying now if you want this type of funeral what you need to do is uh, you know you need to be thinking and you need to be making decisions together as a family and this is an ugly part of this, but sometimes if you don't do that, uh, this causes a lot of problems and it causes family division uh, at the time of uh, death and funeral planning. And so we always tell them uh, together, you know, you need to together uh, decide, you know, what scriptures or what songs uh, and what type of whatever, even what kind of color clothes to put on dad, you know, what, and all this stuff. Uh, and so, so there's, there's not this going on in the family because that happens accidentally. Uh, emotions are high and loose and, uh, you know, and so uh, even, uh, you know, something like, uh, uh, do you need to work together as a family? Such as who wants to maybe say a few words, you know? Uh, and so sometimes it's either no one or there's some sibling that wants to dominate everything sometimes. And uh, their kids are the ones that are going to do all the talking, you know. And uh, their kids are going to do the reading of the scriptures, you know. And, uh, and when we put together the video, uh, the photo collage video, you know, all we need is pictures of my kids, you know, the grandkids. And so um, yeah, I'm laughing a little bit and being a little funny, but, uh, but it's not funny. Uh, you know, so uh, to answer John's question, there's just all those things, you know, do you want a meal here afterwards. Can we serve your family a meal? You know, uh, do you want uh, a, a Bodeman music, Dale Bodeman with uh, contemporary Christian music, or do you want organ music like, you know, from Lindsay? Uh, you know, and uh, you know we can do this however you want, uh, to to an extent, to an extent, uh, and uh, we will uh, give you all of the the menu of options there. Uh, because putting a, a funeral together uh, is not just coordinating between the, the funeral home and you and us for the date and the time, but all those specific details, we will walk you through those details. So like John said, if you have the opportunity to write those details out, your request to your family, that's uh, less that your family has to do, but those decisions still need to be made. 
And we, one way or the other, whether you've planned it ahead or not, we will walk you through each one of those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here at St. Peter's, um, when we find out that we're going to do a funeral, uh, a lot of times we'll send you an online form to start kind of getting gathering those things. And what's nice about the form is you can look at it and go, oh, this is what they want. And now you have all day to go, okay, I need to find this. Because what happens is, is you guys come in totally unprepared. I'm like, all right, so let's think about scripture verses. And you're like, oh, I know my loved one had a favorite scripture verse. It's in their Bible at home. I don't know it. And so then you leave and, and we don't have it all together. And there's just that anxiety of, I got to finish this up. Where having a form, it feels a little like cold. It's like, really, you want me to fill this out about my loved one? But it gives you guys a chance to kind of process through and go, oh, okay, I need to go find that. Open the Bible. Got it. Okay, I got that. I got this. And so a lot of times what happens is people won't actually fill out the form necessarily. They'll come in, though, with all the answers in their book or something. And then we can sit down and just go through everything. And it's really smooth. And what that allows us to do as pastors is to get through logistical stuff to what really matters. And, and that's talking about your loved one. Brooke, may I share just a little bit of our story together? Um, when Mark died, uh, we you know, worked together on a lot of things. And one of the, 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 the best moments is one of my like, highlight moments of ministry here. Um, I can't look at you because I'm going to cry. Um, when we said, let's meet, they said, why don't you come over to our house? And it was a beautiful, sunny day. And uh, we sat on your back porch and we laughed and we talked and we laughed and we cried and we laughed some more. And it was beautiful. And it was one of those moments where like God just gives you those opportunities to be comforted in that. And that's honestly, it sounds weird, but that's my favorite part of a funeral uh, is to sit with the family and to learn. Kata, can I share a little bit of our story? Uh, I, I wasn't part of Karen's um, service or anything. But afterwards, I said, hey, can we go out to coffee? And I think we were there for like three hours. Uh, again, beautiful day. And, and we laughed and we cried a little and we talked. And, and like that's, that's ministry. And that's important to us as pastors to be able to know and hear the whole story, right? Because it's more than just, oh, yeah, we got to get a service done. It's not about that. It's about the people and about what Jesus has done for them. Um, and that's, to me... Uh, my favorite part of all of it is being able to sit with you guys and get to know uh, who your loved one was um, and go through that. When my dad's funeral came around, um, I spoke. I refused to be the pastor because I wanted to grieve. Um, and my, my other brother spoke, and our pastor, my mom's pastor, did the service, and he sat with her. And he came with insights that I never, never would have thought of. And I was like, holy cow, like, He's so spot on. It was like he knew my dad, but he'd only met him once because my dad refused to go to church. Um, <laughs> I did have a chance to talk to my dad about faith at the end, and it was all good, but he just didn't like the church. Um, so we, we sit down, we go through the, the logistics, and then we talk about the story because our goal, and if I can speak for these guys, our, our goal is to, to put together a service that is Christ-centered, honors Jesus, uh, and celebrates your loved one and celebrates maybe even you um, and and that's a that becomes kind of a a blessing when we can walk away from a service and know that christ crucified and risen was preached 
and that we were able to celebrate the life that your loved one had that God gave to them, like that's success and it's a win. You've planted the flag and you say, okay, this is, we've got closure from the initial trauma and uh, we're able to move forward. So I want to kind of look through some of these questions that came up. One of the questions, do you still get choked up when you minister to a grieving family or during the service? Uh, yes or no, what do you think? Do you still get choked up? Every time. If I know the person very intimately or if I know them lightly, uh, it's just a pastor's heart to where you rejoice with those who rejoice and you mourn with those who mourn. And uh, ooh, when you're holding a heart and the heart is breaking, you know, yours breaks too. Yeah, the, uh, in my Connect group on Friday night, any of my Connect people here? Nope. Um, good, I can talk about it. Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, we were talking about this because this is our, our, our series. And my wife threw me under the bus. She goes, John's a cold-hearted person. I was like, I know where this is going. Um, the way that I grieve, the people closest to me, I don't cry. So like, I didn't cry when my dad died. I didn't cry at his <clears throat> service. Um, it, it's really, really strange. I, it just doesn't happen. So it really makes my wife angry because she is like just broken and crying. And I'm over here like, yeah, it sucks. Yep, and, and she's just like, what is wrong with you? Um, but what's, what's interesting is, uh, as a pastor, it's like the opposite. Like, I, I can't look at Brooke because I start crying. I can't, you know, and, and I get emotional. And uh, there's, there's two services that stand out to me uh, that, from my previous congregation that were really impactful where you got to see me grieve. And the first was uh, we had an individual who died by suicide. He was part of our worship band. His son was friends with my son, and uh, it was just awful. And as I was preaching, I broke my my voice broke, and I had to compose myself a little bit. And we had a, a retired Lutheran school teacher, DCE. Uh, he was just a really hard guy, and he came up to me after the service, and he pointed his finger in my face, and he says, "Don't you ever show emotion?" <laughs> I was like, "Okay," and he goes, "It is." out of line you're there to bring comfort and if you're crying you're not bringing comfort and I said wow well thank you for your opinion I said Jesus cried at Lazarus funeral and I just walked away <laughs> he didn't say anything um, and uh, and I was just like you know what no like this is real emotion for everybody and and this was a friend of mine and these are people we love um, then the last funeral I did at Trinity Klein was for my assistant that we worked together for 12 years. Uh, that was the last one. And I did so well, I held it together. And I'm in the middle of the sermon and I'm looking down and I have my iPad and I'm looking down and all of a sudden like tears are dropping onto my iPad. And I didn't even realize I was crying. And I saw the, the tears hit and my first thought was like, oh no, is this going to mess up my iPad? So like, I can't. <laughs> hit my next uh, note, and uh, I was just sitting there, and I was trying so hard. It's a big church like ours, so like up close, unless you're up close, you can't tell. So I'm like, don't wipe your eyes, like don't, don't look like you're, you're losing it. And my wife said, oh, it was so obvious you were crying. I was like, well, I tried. Um, but yeah, we, we do. We absolutely do. And, and, you know, every one of us leads differently. Uh, Adam and I did a funeral together. I think it was Mark's. And, and we, we sang Beautiful. And like, I'm all good. I'm like, I'm not going to lose it. I'm good. I look over and my brother is like sobbing. Like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to cry now. 
Um, because these are people we love. And, and that would be exactly what is expected. Um, I want to leave on kind of a, a fun and positive note, uh, as much as you can as you talk about funerals. But Tim, this is the question I want to get to all morning. What's the weirdest, strangest funeral that you've ever done? Well, John said a positive no. <laughs> uh, but uh, I guess the weirdest one I've ever done was this family asked me. I was brand new, one of the first funerals I ever did, uh, you know, well over a decade ago. And, and, uh, and the family came to me and asked me to do this funeral. And I said, sure. And uh, I did not know this person. Never seen him, never heard of him. Uh, but I knew the family well. And come to find out, uh, the family warned me. They said, uh, this person was not a believer and nobody likes him. And by the time we were through talking, I was talking to mom and dad and mom and dad did not like him. It was bad, bad news. So I went to my pastor, you know, my senior pastor at the time and I said, what do I do with this one? You know? And he said, um, all you can do is say that, um, you know, just uh, preach the grace of God. You know, it's not our business to inform the family that your loved one or unloved one um, <laughs> is in hell. That's not our business, you know. Uh, and unfortunately, I was experienced in this. Uh, I'd been at the gravesite of a lot of inmates uh, that we had executed that uh, nobody cared if they ever lived and nobody cared if they ever died. And uh, so, but the weirdest one was this one. I went to the graveside only for this, and here's the family sitting around there, and everybody was glad that this guy was dead. He was, uh, he was mean, he was vicious, he was, uh, he was a uh, predator and hurt people badly. And so that was the weirdest one. Uh, and uh, by God's grace, uh, God was glorified, and His grace was laid out, uh, but... Um, but yeah, that was weird because there's nobody to comfort, nobody to console, nobody was, nobody's heart was broken at that one. The, the weirdest funeral I've ever done was my very first one. Uh, and I was called in like at the 11th hour. So they had planned everything, but they didn't have anybody to officiate over it. And so uh, a member of our church who was their friend. So I go and I meet with the, the, the wife of uh, her husband had, had died, met with the wife and his parents. And as I got to know their story, um, he and his wife had met in rehab. They're both uh, heavy, heavy alcoholics. Um, and even after rehab, they had really struggled. He died of uh, liver failure, cirrhosis. And uh, it was just a, that was part of big, that was really much of their life together. They're like 13 years together. And so she's sharing this. And then I look at mom and dad and mom and dad flat out say, we don't want anybody to know any of that. I'm like, Oh boy, okay. Uh, and they had chosen a couple of songs for the service. And one of them uh, was a song called Ball and Chain by Social Distortion. If you don't know it, you gotta go like look it up. It's an old 90s punk rock song, okay? Uh, and it's literally all about like addiction, the ball and chain. And I'm like, okay, so we can't talk about alcohol addiction, but we can sing about it, apparently. 
And then they were like, the other song we want is uh, a song by the band uh, My Chemical Romance. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, called Welcome to the Black Parade. And I was like, okay. I was like, man. And they said that it was like their, the husband and their son's like favorite song. They would jam out to it. Another like heavy punk rock song. I was like, man, this is going to be interesting. So not being able to talk about any of it, we, we set it up, the service up to where like My Chemical Romance came towards the front and we set it up like this is a special song between a dad and a son. So everybody kind of sat and listened. It was okay. And then right before the message, we played Social Distortion uh, at Ball and Chain. And I got up and I preached on sin and how sin's like a ball and chain around our ankles. Um, and we can't get away from it. And it ends in death. And then we closed out. I got to choose one song. Uh, Chris Tomlin's Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. We put that at the end of the message. <laughs> We're like, woo! <laughs> we got out of there. Um, and it was really cool because we were actually able to fulfill his parents' wish that if you had just come and didn't know their, their story of addiction, you'd never know. Um, but for everybody that knew their story, like it was like, yep, it's all right here. Um, and it was really neat. The family walked away. They were not uh, heavy church people, believers, but not heavy church people. And uh, they started coming to church for a little while there at Trinity Klein and got a little bit connected. Um, and, uh, you know, funerals are always an opportunity to minister to families, to, to share the gospel in, in the most powerful of ways. And uh, it's not something that is always fun or pleasant, but it is always deeply rewarding um, to be able to walk alongside a family. So uh, just give you guys any questions, thoughts. Yes, Connie, and then we'll go over here. was everyone in attendance comes to Jordan. It, he can evangelize. I mean, he's yeah. got an right there. Yeah, it's an opportunity to share the gospel. That's his favorite part of being a pastor. Yeah. So shocking. Funeral is your favorite part. Because you get to share the gospel in a way that is just so, so raw and real. Trish? I think that was just his way. Um, I, so every funeral is an opportunity for evangelism and to preach the gospel. But I never, I've never seen it as like a, a time for altar call. Um, of, hey, if you're, if you're not a believer now, it's time to come to faith. Um, because what happens sometimes that I've seen is the family who's very faithful feels like, well, 
like I didn't hear about John in, in the message. I just, you just talked to people who didn't know Jesus, which is great, but like we kind of came to grieve John too. And so I've always approached it from how do we take the story of Jesus and, and his death and life and resurrection and weave it together with the story of whomever it is? And where do those two things come together? And then use that as the opportunity to bring comfort through a, a gospel proclamation. Um, um, but I, I'll be honest, like we, I did not get a lot of training on funerals um, in seminary. Um, it was like we had to write one funeral sermon and they critiqued it and it was like, all right, you're ready. It's like, okay, uh, that's it, all right. Yeah, Phil. Yeah. Uh, but my question is, because there's a lot of things like planning out of service and all these other things that your family doesn't want to have to deal with when you pass, and, and you said there's like, do you have like a checklist? Is there, are there some resources for what things we could have planned out in, in advance so that our family doesn't have to deal with at least those questions, like your favorite song? Sure. So yeah, absolutely. If, um, if you are thinking about or working through planning out something like that, um, if you contact Julie Dietrich here in our church office and let her know, hey, we're planning and kind of working on some of this stuff in advance. Uh, Pastor John said you guys have a form. She can email it to you and then you can look at it and see kind of what we're, what we're going to ask of you. Um, from a, a pure service standpoint, it's not going to have all the stuff of like, okay, casket versus urn or, or things like that. Um, I would encourage you to always consider uh, our columbarium is a, a beautiful and wonderful option for uh, not burial, but placement um, afterwards. So keep that in mind because it's new. It's a lot of our families, they're like, oh, we totally forgot about that. Um, and so there are open niches right now. Um, but yeah, if you reach out to Julie Dietrich and I'll let her know that she might get a couple of emails or calls. Um, that form is really helpful just to see what, what you're looking at. Thank you, guys. I know it's not like, woo, man, leave this place like smiling and like this is the best Bible study we ever went to. But I hope it helps you see kind of the inner workings of, of what goes on here. And uh, I hope you guys realize that your pastors and the whole ministry and uh, care team here is here for you guys, no matter what's going on in your life. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, thank you for this time. And uh, bless, Lord, uh, those that are going through struggles and sickness, and uh, Lord, those that are, are near death and families who have experienced death, that, Lord, they would know you are with them, present, and that uh, your hope and comfort of uh, life, eternity, and resurrection would be theirs even in these uh, challenging moments. And Lord, um, thank you again for uh, just the opportunity to talk about these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed this Sunday morning Bible group. If you did, be sure to share it and subscribe so we can get you more faith content when it's available. And I want to give a shout out to all people who call St. Peter's home. It is through you that we are able to connect people to Jesus for the first time and keep people connected for a lifetime. We hope to see you next time.